0: Thank you. My name is John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about how we can experience the freedom that God intends for us to have. Now, one thing we know is this. God wants us to walk in freedom and in liberty and in abundance and in joy. The devil, on the other hand, wants us to walk in bondage and guilt and shame and He doesn't want us to be free. The Bible says that our enemy is like a roaring lion. He goes around seeking whom he may devour. He's a thief. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, where Jesus came to give us the abundant life, a life of freedom and joy and peace. And so on today's program, we're going to be thinking about how we can experience the freedom that God means for us to have. This is a sermon that I preach to our church here in Pasadena Uh, several months ago on the 4th of July weekend, and it was a blessing here on that day, and I'm praying this sermon will be a blessing to you. We live in a great country, and we are blessed to be citizens of the United States of America, we're thankful to God for that. And I thought, as I began the message today, since it is a patriotic occasion, maybe I could tap into a little bit of American history. Now, I realize that the 4th of July has absolutely nothing to do with the Civil War. The 4th of July has to do with the American Revolution and when we obtained our freedom from the British. But as you study our country's history, you find that this battle for freedom is happening over and over and over again. Again, first from the British. But in the 1800s, there was really a greater battle that was going on in these United States. And it culminated really in the Civil War. On New Year's Day of 1863, President, Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. And he declared on that day that all slaves would be free. In fact, let me read you not the entire Emancipation Proclamation, but maybe the most well-known line in that executive order. He said, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. New Year's Day, 1863. Now... The interesting thing about that proclamation is after it was given, not a single slave experienced freedom immediately. The Civil War did not end until May the 9th of 1865, almost two and a half years after President Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation did the Civil War end and then slaves began for all practical purposes to be free. It's interesting. He announced he proclaimed their freedom and yet they were not free for almost two and a half years what happened with the emancipation proclamation was not that slavery immediately went away what happened is that with that emancipation proclamation the purpose of the civil war changed it's interesting if you study about the civil war the civil war did not begin to abolish slavery that was not why the war started The war started because after President Lincoln was elected, there were some states in the South, in fact, there were seven states that said, with Lincoln in office now, it's just a matter of time until he abolishes slavery, and when he abolishes slavery, it's going to be terrible for our financial gain. It's going to hurt our business, we won't have anybody to work in the fields and 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 to to pick the cotton and to do all the things that the slaves were expected to do back then. And so seven states, actually, Texas was one of these states, seceded from the Union. And so President Lincoln said, we can't let this happen. We can't be the divided states of America. We've got to be the United States of America. And when these seven states seceded from the Union, they began to fire shots and they began to demand that the American flag come down in their territories. And Lincoln said, we can't have a country like that. We must be united. And so that's how the Civil War started, in Lincoln's mind, to preserve the Union and yet, after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, the purpose of the Civil War changed. It was no longer just to preserve the Union, that was still part of it. But the main motive at that point for the war was so that the slaves could be set free. And so, as I said, two and a half years later, May the 9th, 1865, that is when the war ended. Not long after that, the 13th Amendment was passed, and then slavery was completely abolished. Now, what is interesting to me is that on June the 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the emancipation proclamation was issued over a month after the civil war itself had ended there were 200,000 slaves in Texas that had absolutely no idea that they were free back in the 1800s you didn't have the television you didn't have all the you didn't have the internet no, none of those slaves received a text message saying, you're free. Because there wasn't that way of communication. And so some of the Union soldiers traveled to Galveston and got the word out to the slaves in Galveston and then the word passed to the slaves all across our state. You don't know it, but you are free. Two and a half years ago, President Lincoln issued an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation declaring that all slaves should be free. And since that has happened, the civil war has ended, and now you are free. Think about that. These slaves were free for a long time before they ever knew that they were free. They were free, actually, but for all practical purposes, they were still slaves. Now, as I am reminded of that very familiar story from American history, I think there is an easy segue into what I want to talk about today. Just as those slaves were free and didn't know it, there are a lot of Christians who are completely free. They have been set free, the shackles have been removed, and yet they don't know it. And so today, what I want us to talk about and what I want us to think about is how can we experience the freedom that is already ours in Jesus Christ? What I know is this, even in this room today, the odds are there are a good number of people who have come in here outwardly, you're dressed nice, you're beautiful, you look good, you look happy, and yet inwardly in your soul and in your heart... You are in chains. You are in bondage. Where these slaves were slaves to their masters. Many here today are slaves to guilt. You're slaves to fear. You're slaves to bitterness. You're slaves to sin. You're slaves to whatever it might be. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has already set you free from those things that have you bound. And so what I want to do in the message today is to show you three things. I want to make three statements in this message this morning. These are three things that the devil does not want you to know. And I'll tell you this much about the sermon. I don't know if it'll be good or bad. Everybody say, it's going to be good. Say that. It's going to be good. Appreciate the the spontaneous (laughs) vote of confidence. I don't know if it'll be good or bad, but I know this. I was preparing the sermon on Friday And as clearly as I know the voice of God, he spoke these things to my heart, and it was like God said, you go out there on Sunday, you make these three statements, and you trust me, the power of my spirit, ministering through you, living in them. You trust my spirit to do what only he can do, and that is to set the captives free. And so if you'll open your Bibles today to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking primarily at one verse in Galatians, chapter number 5, and in verse number 1. Paul was writing to these Galatian Christians. Now, here's the thing on them. Here's a little history on this this book. These Christians in Galatia had truly been saved. They had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And yet there was a group of Jewish people who had come through the region, they were called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers had said to these new Christians, Hey, we know that you have received Jesus. We know that you say He has forgiven your sins. But in order for you to really be saved, in order for you to be 100% right with God, you've got to keep the Old Testament law. You've got to keep the rituals. You've got to offer up the sacrifices. You've got to do all those things that Moses prescribed. And just because you've received Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're free from keeping all those things. In fact, the Judaizers said, it is only through keeping those things that you can truly be right with God. And they said to those new Christians, it's okay that you've received Christ, but Christ is not enough. You must be circumcised. You must go through this ritual. You must keep the law. And you know what the Judaizers really did? They emphasized godliness more than they emphasized God. And they emphasized holiness more than they emphasized him. And they were saying to these baby Christians, in order to truly be right with God, there are some things you've got to do. You've got to work for your salvation. Jesus is fine, but Jesus is not enough. There are things you've got to do. And so Paul found out about what was happening in Galatia, and he wrote a letter. And in the beginning of that letter, he chastised these Galatian Christians. Of all 13 letters Paul wrote, this is the only one where he didn't say something nice at the beginning. He just started out. full barrel he said who has deceived you what has happened to you you have started by trusting christ and now you're throwing in the law as part of salvation and by the time he gets to chapter 5 and verse number one he he really sums up the whole purpose of this of this letter he says stand fast therefore in the liberty by which christ has made us free And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Paul was saying, listen... Jesus has set you free. When you first got saved, you were happy, you were joyful, you were peaceful, you were excited about your new relationship with Christ. And now these Judaizers have come in, they've tricked you, they've deceived you, and you're going back into the old bondage that you had before you ever got saved. And He says, You don't need to do that, you need to stand fast in the liberty and the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. And what I know is there are many Christians, I mean saved, on their way to heaven. Sins are forgiven and yet they are in bondage. And sometimes we all get in bondage. And yet God wants us to experience and live with the freedom that Jesus Christ died for us to have. And so these three statements are very important. I wish you'd write them down. If you... uh, are not a sermon note-taker. Maybe you can just try to lock them in your memory. But three statements that I think today can help you experience the freedom that is already yours. Number one, this is the easiest of the three. It's the shortest of the three. So surely you remember this. Number one, forgiven sins are gone. You believe that? Say amen. Let's say that together. Forgiven sins are gone. Isn't that a simple statement? You hear that statement and you think, well, sure, forgiven sins are gone. When God forgave, you know, you know, forgave me, He washed my sins away. Yes, that, that, that's true. He, he washed your sins away, and that's why your sins are gone. But so many times, even after we have been forgiven of our sins, we carry those sins with us. Sins maybe that you committed last week. Sins maybe that you committed last month. Sins maybe that you committed last year or two years ago or five years ago or even longer than that. Sins that you have confessed to God. Sins that God has forgiven. Sins that God himself said, I will remember those sins no more. And yet, sometimes those sins that we have committed, they kind of become like a backpack and we carry him with us and it's like it's like sometimes the devil comes along and and the devil convinces us well yes you've asked for forgiveness and yes there's a sense in which god has forgiven you but you know you you, you need to keep kind of feeling bad about that. It's kind of like we, we do penance. You know, some churches teach about penance, that, that after you have sinned and even after you've asked God to forgive you of your sin, you need to go through this period of time where, where you do penance for your sin. Penance, what is penance? It is simply uh, self-punishment. It's like, oh, I know I have committed this sin. I know God has... I've asked God to forgive me. I believe he's forgiven me, but I need to just show God how sorry I am, and I need to mope around, and I need to do a little penance, and I need to, you know, I need to just express, show, let God know that my repentance is real. And there are a lot of Christians who are living in bondage because they're carrying around sins that God has forgiven and that God has forgotten and today the first thing I felt led to say to whoever would be at church today to hear this message this message is not from me this message is from God and what God is saying to you today through me is that all the sins that you have ever confessed have been washed away by the blood of Jesus those sins are gone and you don't need to think any more about it they're gone As far as the east is from the west, so far is He forgiven and remove those sins from us. And so forgiven sins are gone. Now, for those of you who have been members here for a while, you know that we've been blessed for the last few years. Dr. R.T. Kendall has come and he's preached in January for us. And he preached a sermon, I think his first sermon here, he, he preached about totally forgiving those who have hurt us. And a few years later, he preached a sermon called, How to Forgive Ourselves Totally. And it was a wonderful sermon, and and he's written a book by that name, How to Forgive Ourselves Totally. And to be honest with you, and I never would have told this to Dr. Kendall because I have such respect for him, but when I saw the title of the book, I kind of thought, what do you mean, how how to forgive ourselves? I can't even find a verse in the Bible that says that we forgive ourselves. I mean, I don't have the ability to forgive myself. I can't go out and commit some sin and then say, John, would you please forgive yourself for that sin? Yes, I forgive you. Okay, thank you, John. You're forgiven, John. I can't forgive myself. Only, the only forgiveness we have is in Jesus Christ. And, so, and yet I have such profound respect for Dr. Kendall that I knew he was on to something, and yet I didn't know how he was going to explain this whole concept of how we can forgive ourselves until I read this book. And on page six of the book... Dr. Kendall, as you would expect, covered his bases, and he defined his terms, and he said this, I must now define what I mean by totally forgiving ourselves. And here is his definition of totally forgiving ourselves. You ready to hear this? You ready? Say amen. It is accepting, now listen to this. It is accepting God's forgiveness of all of our past sins and failures so completely that we equally let ourselves off the hook for our past as God himself has done. And so he defines totally forgiving ourselves not as getting down on our knees and praying to ourselves and asking ourselves to forgive ourselves. No. He says what he means by this phrase, forgiving ourselves, it is to accept God's forgiveness so fully and so completely that we let ourselves off the hook. Just like God has let ourselves off the hook, let us off the hook. And so I want to say today to all of us here, because we have all sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so every last one of us here today is a candidate to be in bondage to guilt and feel like, well, I just feel so badly about it. And, but what I'm saying and what God is saying is those forgiven sins are gone. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. There are consequences to our sins. And just because God forgives our sins, that doesn't mean that the consequences go away. There are probably people listening to this message in prison. They have committed a sin. They have asked many of them God to forgive them. They have been forgiven. They have been cleansed. And yet they're still in prison. But the thing we need to understand and remember about consequences is that the consequences for our sin are what I would call natural. They're natural consequences. You break the law, you've got to pay. But what what the Bible teaches is when God forgives a sin, there's no longer any spiritual punishment. There's no longer any, you know, there's nothing between us and God. And so there's something freeing in knowing, you know what? God will never hold our sins against us. There's a verse in the Psalms where the psalmist says, you have not dealt with us according to our sins. You see, if you break a law, that's between you and God, but that's also between you and the state of Texas. And so the state of Texas says here is the crime that you have committed and here is the punishment for that crime. doesn't mean that God hasn't forgiven you, but it does mean there are consequences. But even with those consequences, God's grace is so great that He helps us even as we face the consequences of sins that He has forgiven. But the point I'm making is when it comes to our relationship with God Himself, God's not holding those sins against us. God's not dealing with us on the basis of those sins. Because if he were, none of us would stand a chance. So, forgiven sins are gone. And that helps us as we try to deal with guilt in our life. And you need to just, as you leave here today, if you miss the next two points, if you just get the first point, you walk out of here today, you know what? That's exactly what I needed to hear. The sins, all the sins that I've ever committed that I've asked Christ to forgive me for, they're gone and he has washed them away. And I don't have to carry that with me. Well, that is so simple and yet it is so very true. Forgiven sins are gone. The good news is that when you confess your sins to God, he forgives those sins. He wipes them out of his book. He Uh, cast them behind his back. The Bible even says that God will not remember our sins anymore. God himself said that, that he will not hold our sins against us. He does not remember those sins. Forgiven sins are gone. And so that is such a liberating truth and such a liberating thought. And so sometimes in life, we think that we're honoring God by beating ourselves up over sins that we have committed or maybe by moping around or, you know, just feeling really badly about sins that he has already forgiven. But if you think about it, we're not honoring God by acting like that. We're actually dishonoring God, and we're dishonoring the blood of Jesus. Because when you confess your sins to God, and then God forgives those sins, and then you continue to live in guilt and shame, what you're really saying is that your sin is stronger than Christ's blood. You're saying that the sins that you have committed are stronger than the blood of Jesus. And so in that sense, you're not honoring God by beating yourself up and living in guilt and shame. You're actually dishonoring him, and you're dishonoring the blood of Jesus. And so I would encourage you today... Uh, Don't do that. When you have confessed your sins to God, even if you don't feel forgiven, we can't live by how we feel. We have to live by the Bible, by what God says. And God says in the Bible that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In another verse, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And so if you want to honor the Lord, live like you believe that. Accept that by faith. And don't worry about how you feel or anything like that. Just live your life based on what God has said. Someone has said that the bridge between information and transformation is application. And so in today's program, I've given a lot of information about how forgiven sins are gone. But in order for that information to do you any good, in order for there to be any life change, any transformation in your life, you've got to make some application. You've got to do something with what you have heard. And you say, well, now, John, how do I, how do I make that application? How can How can this become real to me? How can I stop living in guilt and shame and regret? for all the things I've done wrong. Very simply by doing this, by believing what God has said and then by living accordingly. By believing what God has said. God has said that your sins are gone. They are out of his mind. They are out of his book. They are blotted out forever. So you live like you believe that. Just believe what God said is true and then live accordingly. And instead of living in guilt and shame, live in gratitude and thankfulness to God for the fact that your sins are forgiven and that your sins are gone. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, would you do that today? Just pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I need a Savior. I'm asking you now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. And then for others listening today, you're already saved, but maybe you're walking around carrying guilt over some sin in the past, maybe the distant past or maybe the more recent past. But would you just pray this, say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done wrong. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I ask that you would forgive me based on the blood that Jesus Christ shed on that cross. Cleanse my sin. Give me a new beginning. By faith, I accept your forgiveness, God, and help me to honor your blood by living like I am truly a forgiven child of God. In your name I pray, amen. I encourage you to visit our website if you can this week at peacebybelieving.org. Peacebybelieving.org. When you are on the website, you'll find a tab that says spiritual growth. Scroll down, you'll find some booklets. One of them's about forgiveness. I pray it will be a blessing to you.